0: Alright, thank you, team, for leading us. Good morning, everyone. Good to be with you. I, I need to make a quick announcement. This is for the for the men. Um this uh Tuesday is Valentine's Day. <laughs> I'm just letting you know. Okay, guys, you've heard it here. I don't care if it's been commercialized. I don't care if this is a conspiracy for to create more money generation And our it doesn't matter, gentlemen. All right, this is Valentine's Day is Tuesday. That's all I need to say, okay? This is my, I'm just, as your pastor, I'm trying to care about you and let you know this is not a time to, to make a statement um, against Valentine's Day. <laughs> Embrace it. Okay, there we go. Um, we are in the beginning, of, not the beginning, we are in a series called Converge, and this series is about the kingdom of God, and we've, a subtitle is Life Where Heaven Meets Earth. The whole idea of this is we want we as we are looking through scriptures, we realize that one of the main themes of Jesus' teachings is this idea of the kingdom of God. And because it's one of the things he talks about more than anything, mentioned over eighty times in the Gospels. In Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, we, we thought, this is something Jesus is, takes very serious. This is a worldview that we need to understand. And so we're studying this kingdom of God, and we find that the kingdom of God he's speaking about is it's twofold. One, it is talking about a future kingdom, uh, what we would call heaven, or, or the realities of, of what's happening now in heaven, where God rules, the rule and reign of God is experienced in its full power and perfection. And so sometimes when Jesus speaks of the kingdom of God, he's saying there will be one day when we experience the full power of God's rule and reign where sin and death and pain and all that stuff is done away with once and for all. So that's part of the kingdom of God. But Jesus also taught that the kingdom of God is at hand or it is now, it is among you. And so there is a now aspect of the kingdom of God. And the way we're thinking about it is this. It's as the rule and reign of God in our lives as Christians, as we live out what it looks like to be under the rule of God, it should give a foretaste, a glimpse of what is to come. And so as a church, we believe that it's important for us to understand this because we believe the more and more we understand and are living lives under the rule of God, we can be a demonstration to the world of what it looks like of what God's goodness and grace and compassion and justice and mercy and all those things look like lived out in the lives of his followers. And we do it imperfectly, but it's something that we want to embrace and do our and, and just surrender to God and allow him to live through us, so that's kind of what the series is about. Now, uh, a couple weeks ago, we, we talked. We started with the prayer of praying, God, Your kingdom come, Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We want to be people who are asking God to make His power known here on earth now. Last week, as Dale taught, he taught us uh, as we looked at Luke chapter 15 that in the kingdom of God, that there is room for everyone. That God leaves the 99 to seek after the one. That it's a God who who cares about those who are lost, those who are wandering. And therefore, as a church, we want to embrace that heart of God, of loving the lost and the wandering. Today we're going to take a look at an aspect of the kingdom of God that has to do with, in the kingdom of God, we want to be a place of refuge for broken and hurting. And here, I'm going to give away the sermon. Um, we all are part of that, of the broken, messed up ones. So we're going to get to that in a little bit. And uh, But before we do that, I thought it would be encouraging for all of us. It's, sometimes it's nice when you hear from from each other and not always from me, and and so I've invited um, Heather, Heather Heavey, come on up, uh, she's going to share a bit of her story here this morning, and so come on up here and grab the mic for you, he- yeah, welcome Heather. So um, Heather did tell me, we, we asked her about a month ago if she'd be willing to share she agreed, and then later she said, "What did I say? I don't, I don't know why I agreed." And and she told me that when she got married, she asked if she could say her wedding vows from like off the stage so that no one was looking at her. True
1: story. Yeah.
0: Oh, do we have it on? Yeah, you're on. Um, I'm on. And, and the pastor said, "No, the point is that we are looking at you." But uh, so, <laughs> but uh, so th- I know this is not your favorite thing doing public speaking, but I uh, we're grateful that you're willing to uh, to share with us today. So.
1: It's not, but um, Revelation says we overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the power of our testimony. And so a long time ago, I just knew that whenever God asked me to share, that I would do that, even if I'm terrified. So <laughs> here we are.
0: Well, I'm glad that you read Scripture. So good.
1: <laughs> Heather,
0: tell us a little bit of, of uh, you know, part of your story. And this is not the full version. This is the abbreviated version. But just what, what was some of the circumstances in your life before you were a follower of Jesus?
1: So I had a pretty traumatic upbringing and kind of endured every type of abuse you could imagine, and uh, sexual abuse, emotional abuse, just everything, and had a parent with significant mental health issues and um, shaking, Mm -hmm. (laughs) and that really uh, just shaped me. Uh, When you're a kid and you grow up in that, you just think it's normal and that this is the way it is, and if this is normal, then something has to be wrong with me. And so I really grew up with an identity of shame, of guilt, of that I'm not lovable and I'm not worthy of something. And so uh, also in my home, anger was the primary emotion. Everything was anger. I didn't even learn until my 20s that there were other emotions and that anger wasn't it that if I was sad that it would come out in anger and all of these things so that led me to uh gangs and kind of a very wild lifestyle and uh burying many friends before you know I graduated high school and then I ended up pregnant at 18 years old and I was in the middle of a drive-by shooting and this moment came this very audible voice of what are you doing and do you want someone to do this to your kid and I was telling Ryan that in that moment I thought it was a conscience, but now I can say I believe it was God trying to grab me. But I even in that mo- moment wasn't listening. So,
0: mm. thanks for sharing that. Uh, when I first met Heather, she told me that story, and I said I always took you for a gangster when I saw her. So, uh.
1: <laughs> that's Jesus <laughs> for sure. <laughs> um,
0: Heather, uh, w- what were some of the circumstances? What, what led? What happened that helped you? kind of introduce you to Jesus.
1: So through that, I did end up, honestly, through God's protection and grace, getting out of that situation, which doesn't normally happen the way it did for me. And then I took a job, and um, there were two women there who were Christians. And even though I'd gotten out of that gang, I was still very rough. I was a great mom, and I could be present for my son, but other than that, I was just struggling. And um, those women loved me and prayed for me and talked to me about Christ and um, for an entire year these women ministered to me and and pursued me and uh, I didn't know but I worked on the first floor, they were on the second floor, they prayed for me together every day for my salvation and my heart. And I watched them like you would not believe. I always was trying to find some reason why they were fake and Christians weren't, you know, real, you know, living it out and this and that. And, um, you know, one story that I love to share is one of these women um, would always ask me to go to church. And so being the smart aleck I was, I was like, well, if you go to this house party with me, I'll go to church with you. (laughs) And, you know, midnight drunk, all those things, she shows up. I'm literally arguing with a police officer, and she's like, hi. And... uh, (laughs) Uh, I think I—I I don't even know how long she stayed, but uh, Monday morning she was like, "So, you know, church? When you want to go to church?" And uh, <laughs> even when you're in the streets, you know, your word is your word, and that's all you have. So I was like, "Okay, I'm going to go to church and do this thing and get her off my back." And so that began a, a, another part of my journey. And I would go—I went to church and listened to these women for a year. I'm a slow learner and <laughs> was just it was difficult for me to understand not having lo- parental love like that that God's love could be real that this could be uh true that I could have it I just always lived under this like umbrella of well that's good for you but I've done all of these things and there is no way I can be forgiven for those there's no way I'm lovable mm. and uh so they just continued to minister to me and About a year later in a service, I uh, just, it was one of those moments where it was just for me. (laughs) And I always heard that story, too, and I was like, oh, eye roll, that's so cliche. And then it happened to me, (laughs) and I started crying, and I started feeling that it wasn't anger I was feeling. I was feeling this overwhelming emotion that I didn't even know what it was. And, And I can tell you now it was grace, and it was love, and so that was My transformation.
0: Wow, that's amazing. That's a great story, Uh, Heather. What's yeah? So just uh, as we conclude here, just what are some you know in your life now? I know you already alluded to some of them, but what are some things that that kind of you're still learning and? Sure.
1: Well, I always thought when I became a Christian that it would be be super easy and (laughs) everything would go away, right? No, it doesn't. Um, And I've lived a lot of life in those years after becoming a Christian and, you know, not only working through my own trauma and and figuring out, you know, how to feel emotions. And those women taught me, it, it sounds weird, but all of the emotions and how to love and how to hug and how to do those things. And so part of what I continue to learn is just God's love and grace and taking that, you know, Satan tries to put that identity back on me that, you know, you are those things that you've done and continuing to say, no, I'm a daughter of the king, and that's my identity. It doesn't matter what happened in the past. And really sharing that, speaking, um, just... Uh, sharing my story with other people and trying to uh, remember. You know, we all have that person in our life where we're like, oh, they're never going to get it. Why am I praying for them? Let me just go to the next person on my list. (laughs) And let me tell you, I wouldn't probably, maybe not be sitting up here today if somebody, those two women weren't faithful to me. So Mm -hmm. just being faithful and then inviting people into the church. You know, when I was new, I... (laughs) It's like a whole other language. It's like you walk into another country and people are like speaking the, all these words and I didn't know anything in the Bible. And oh, I was so overwhelmed. And so I try to remember that too for people who are new and just helping them and um, saying it's okay. You don't have to know all these words and it'll make sense and just love Jesus first and it'll, mm. it'll be okay.
0: <laughs> well, thank you. We're, we're so encouraged by your story. Let's pray for Heather. God, we thank you so much for Heather. We thank you that uh, you pursued her and you were relentless. And we thank you for the women you put in her life who followed your call and cared about her and loved her. Uh, Lord, and uh, kind of as we looked at last week with the lost coin, they swept and swept and swept and searched and searched. And uh, all of heaven rejoice when Heather received you, God. And we pray that her story would be multiplied a thousand times over maybe even just through her life alone and then through those of us in here. So we thank you um, and pray that you lead us the rest of the time this morning. In your name, amen. Thanks, Heather. Let's give her a hand. I'm pretty sure you don't need me. I mean, it looks like you could preach the whole sermon here today, by the way, Heather. Great job. That was uh, encouraging. And there is more to this story, and I encourage you as you get to know Uh, Heather and Mark and uh, we're glad to have them here from Chicago by the way if you didn't figure that out. So uh, (laughs) okay only people from the upper Midwest got that but good. So we're going to continue on with this morning and one thing that I think is, is so encouraging is is we all have a story. Some are some are kind of more extreme stories right but some of your stories is your God put your parents in your life. And you were raised in a loving place where you learned about the love of God and you were introduced to Jesus because you, for some reason, were born into that situation. And that is a valid, important, God-honoring story as well. And, And so when we hear our stories, we know that we all come as beggars, but God is pursuing us and he puts a lot of different... Uh, he does it a lot of different ways, and so that's what we celebrate. Uh, a couple things, or uh, not a couple things, but the next thing I want to look at is, so this morning we are talking about being a place of refuge. It's something that Heather experienced when she showed up at church. Be- being a church where we can be a place for the broken. And, and we find in Matthew chapter 13... There's, uh, Matthew makes just, or records Jesus saying just a couple of, of lines here in Matthew 13. And in verse 31, he says this, "...the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and sowed in a field. And this seed is smaller than all the other seeds, but when it is full grown, it is larger than garden plants, and it becomes a tree, so that the birds of the air come and nest in its branches." And one thing I love about this is Jesus is saying the kingdom of God starts small and it sprouts up and grows. And in Israel, the the mustard seeds grow into these bushes that are about 15 feet tall. They grow really rapidly, but it starts with a very small seed. But then it says the birds of the field find refuge. in in the branches, and in Mark he says, in in the shadow, in the shade of the tree. And it's this idea that in the kingdom of God, it's an advancing, expanding kingdom. That's why sometimes if you say, why why is your church, why do Christians care about reaching others and helping others become Christians and followers of Jesus? It's because that's what the kingdom of God is about. It's Jesus's, it's this movement, that's this ever-expanding movement, and it's one in which the birds of the field find refuge. And as we studied this, we wanted to say, well, what does this mean for us as a church? And so we have just one little phrase. I have it on the screen for you. It says, one of the things is, as as being a disciple-making, gospel-centered church, we dream of being a type of church that provides refuge for the broken. We want to be a church that provides refuge for the broken, for the hurting, for the tired, for the worn out, for the weak. And so this morning, as we look at a couple stories, we're going to look, I'm going to actually invite you to turn to Luke chapter 14. We're going to look at a couple stories and expand on this idea of what does it mean to be a church that's finding refuge? What does it mean to be a church that in the kingdom of God is providing for others? So uh, let's look at that in Luke chapter 14. Now there's two stories that we're going to look at. And one of them I'm just going to walk you through or explain it really quickly because we don't have time for all of it. But Jesus is speaking in, in Luke chapter 14, starts in verse 7. And he has two stories that he shares. Now the first one, he's, to set the scene, he's sitting in, at a table with, a, with some Pharisees, some teachers of the law, these religious people who have it figured out how to live and follow the law very well. And he notices them as they were sitting there, they were kind of jockeying for position of who gets to sit in the seat of honor. And so Jesus brings out a kingdom principle that says, hey, whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. We don't have time to unpack that too much, but really what the first thing that we see in the first story, and it's, under, it's important that we understand the first story so we understand the second one, as Jesus is pointing out to the people who were there were all the people who looked like they had it together. They're The people who believed the laws of God, they tried to follow the laws of God, they appreciated the laws of God, and they knew they were better than all the other people who couldn't follow the laws of God. And they were sitting in this room, and then Jesus made a comment that basically said, hey guys, it's not about sitting in the seat of honor. It's not about who is more righteous than the next one, who is more holy than the other one. You're jockeying for a position amongst yourselves to see who is better than the next person. And the first story is all about self-importance. And Jesus calls them out on it and says, let the guest, the host of the the dinner, decide your standing. Don't think that you can earn your way here. I always think of this story and think this is a bunch of achievers who are sitting in that room. Uh, On strength finders test, you know, they they ask for some of your strengths. Uh, One of mine is achiever. Achievers, we're the type of people who want to know who's winning and losing. Achievers are not the people who invented a seventh place trophy. We just don't do it. Achievers are the ones who know Somebody wins, somebody loses. And I lo- that's just kind of how I go. So I relate a little bit to these Pharisees saying like, well, where do I stand here in this? I mean, when you, in my house too, and, and I feel like I'm fun to play games with and stuff, but I don't play games just to, I'm not there to build you up when we play a game. If, we, if you play a game with me, I'm, I'm going to play to win. And I want to win because, and some people say, well, you should let your kids win sometimes for their self-esteem. I said, no, I'm making them tough. They need to learn. Life is tough. So I'm, I'm right there. I get the achievers. I get the where do I fit here. But Jesus is saying it's not about that. Let the host, who in this case would be symbolic for God, who invites you to the table, to determine your standing. Because ultimately, you fall short anyway. And so he gives that little story. And then one guy at the table says, well, blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God, which is saying blessed is anyone who even just gets into heaven. Now, my guess is he was in the last place at the table. (laughs) So he goes, that sounds good to me. And then Jesus says, well, let me tell you another story. And this is a story I want to walk through with you today. Luke chapter 14, we'll pick it up in verse 16. He's talking to the same people. And Jesus said, I want to tell you a story. There was a man giving a big dinner, and he invited many. Some In Matthew, the same story says a wedding feast, but it's, it's symbol, similar symbolism. So a man was giving a big big dinner. He invited many. And at the dinner hour, he sent his servant away to say to those who had been invited, Come, for everything is ready now. Now, here, a little context. This is not... So they're having this dinner party, and he says at the dinner hour, he sent his servant to invite those who... Who, and to say the dinner was already ready. Now, these people had already been invited and they already RSVP'd. It's important that you understand that part of this story. Culturally, he already sent out their invitation long ago and they already said, we'll be there, sounds great, the feast, we're in. And so when the time came, culturally what you'd do is you'd send out your servant and say, hey, just letting you know, everything is now ready. The food is prepared. The party is ready to go. The band is fired up. We're ready. So come on in. The doors are open. And he would go to the people who already said they would be there. Okay? So they already said they'll be there. Now, verse 18, but they all alike began to make excuses, The first one said to him, I have bought a piece of land and I need to go out and look at it. Please consider me excused. Another said, I bought five yoke of oxen. I'm going to try them out. Please consider me excused. The other said, I've married a wife and for that reason I cannot come. These are funny excuses actually. (laughs) And the slave came back and reported this all to the master and the head of the household became angry. Now again, why did he become angry? Because they already said, I'll be there. And now, all of a sudden, they're worried about, one says, oh, I bought land, I need to go check it out. I need to expand my kingdom. The other one says, I bought five yoke of oxen, which meant that he was a very wealthy person. I would need to go check it out. I need to expand my business. I need to go see how much more powerful I am. The other one, I married a wife. As if, you know, he said, I have a party tonight, and he saw someone in the, you know, at the restaurant and said, hey, you want to get married? I think I have an opening. These are people who are worried about their own lives and they're totally disrespecting the invitation. So the head of the household becomes angry and says to his servant, "Go out at once into the streets and the lanes of the city and bring in here the poor, the crippled, the blind and the lame." And the servant said, "Master, what you have commanded has been done and still there is more room." And the master said to the slave, Go out into the highways along the hedges, compel them to come in, so that in my house may it be filled. For I tell you, none of those who were invited shall taste of my dinner. So, what we have here in this story is again, the first story was a story of self importance. He was speaking to people who had it on the surface, were qualified to be in heaven. They believed in God, they followed the law as much best they can, and they were, they thought, qualified to be in heaven. And, but they were worried about how much more important they were than one another. And then Jesus tells another story, and notice they aren't even in the second story, or they aren't in the feast anymore, because they said, well, if it's not about me, then I don't even want to come. If it isn't going to be about how I can be built up, how I can have more something in this kingdom, then I don't want to be there. It's self-righteousness in the second one. If what I have to offer isn't good enough, then I'm just going to go and do other things. And so Jesus then in this story says, all right, let's invite the poor, the cripple, the lame, the blind, which was symbolic of the people of the nation of Israel who were unclean. They're people who couldn't live the law perfectly. They're the people who knew they didn't belong. They were people who had nothing to give in return. They would come to the dinner party, they would show up and they wouldn't have anything to give back. That host wouldn't be invited to their homes because they didn't have enough. So here's a bunch of people who had nothing to offer, who were invited in. Then when he says go out on the highways, in the hedges, I love that. Go to beat the hedges and let these people come in. It was symbolic of the non-Jewish people who weren't living, who were even qualified by their nationality to be included in, but Jesus said invite them to the dinner party. If we were to look at this today, I uh, wonder who these people would be If we were to ask the Christian church, who are the ones that are least likely to be invited? In this story, that's what we see happening. This includes the addict who's coming in and saying, I just can't break my addictions. This includes the the woman who had an abortion. This includes the doctor who's performing the abortions. They are invited in to the table of God. Who is it for you that you struggle with? This is an invitation to all in the LGBT community. They're invited to the table of God. This is people who even the self-righteous ones, the the holier-than-thou people, they're invited to the table of God. The invitation is there. The radical Islamic terrorist is invited to the table of God. Is anyone uncomfortable yet? (laughs) You see, Jesus is making a, in this story. He's saying, you must know the kingdom of God, the invitation is there. Will you receive it? Will you receive the invitation that's being sent out? And the people he's mentioning would shock you and say, really? And it's so easy for us to decide, well, I can see these people be invited, but not those. But they're invited. All are invited. So there's a couple lessons that we learn here as we look At this story of the kingdom of God, the first is this: in the kingdom of God, everyone invited to the table. And when we say that, that means invited in to sit at the table with God. This is an invitation to be a follower, the invitation to heaven, essentially. So the first lesson we learn in the kingdom of God: it's the great equalizer, and all of us are undeserving. All of us are undeserving. In the kingdom of God. We are the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind. We are the ones out on the, the roads and the hedges. And we are the ones that you would say, no, 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 they, they don't. Really, God? You're going to invite them in? All of us in the kingdom of God are undeserving. When you sit at that table and you look at that table and you look across the table, you're going to see messed up people in the kingdom of God. And guess what? When they're sitting at the table and they look across and see you, guess what they're seeing? A messed up person. You are all messed up. I want you right now to turn to the person next to you and remind them, you are messed up. Go ahead. Some of you are having too much fun with that. We just started a fight with one marriage. <laughs> In the kingdom of God, we are all messed up. We, none of us belong. In the kingdom, even on your best day, you don't measure up. Paul writes, all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, even on your best day. There's a guy I like to listen to preaching and he was talking about that and he said, even on that best day of your life, when you wake up in the morning, you have a choice. You can say, good morning, Lord, or good Lord, it's morning. And on this day, you woke up and said, good morning, Lord, and you spent time reading scripture and you were just filled with the spirit of God and you were just walking, you were just like, oh, I'm right in the presence of God. And on that day, you walked downstairs and the people in your house didn't clean up after themselves and you just had a big smile and you said, God, thank you so much for an opportunity to serve the people who live in my house and you cleaned all their dishes with joy and you put all you cleaned up the kitchen and you went off to work and you realized you're running out of gas you said God thank you so much that I'm running out of gas I have to get gas and now I have an opportunity to share Jesus with people in the gas station you were just just so you share Jesus you get to work and you're just hitting all your goals and they're just beaming and people are like what's what's different about you and you said it's because I'm in the presence of of the living God and all your coworkers said, tell us more. We want to hear. And so you told them and they all became Christians and your boss said, let's start an office Bible study and on that day, later that day, you're walking through just out in the, the, the park and you're just enjoying the presence of God and you look down, you didn't even realize that you were walking on water because you have such faith. Even on that day, you fall short Of the glory of God you see we all in the kingdom of God don't deserve a seat at the table even on our best day and we see that in this story we all have brokenness we all have cracks and it's easy in the church to say come as you are but get fixed really quickly we want you to be fixed really quickly because it makes us uncomfortable when you're broken. But then we realize, wait, we, we have our cracks too. The songwriter Leonard Cohen actually writes in one of his songs, there's a crack in everything, and that's how the light gets in. I kind of think about that, and I thought, you know what? In the cracks and brokenness of our life, that's where Jesus has an opportunity to shine through. And we're not saying if you have brokenness to just live in your sin and don't deal with it let christ fill in those cracks fill in the brokenness but please let's not be a church that tries to communicate that if you're not getting fixed quick enough you don't fit that's not a place of refuge let jesus fill in and shine through the cracks because the news is we all have cracks even the apostle paul who wrote half the new Testament. He did more for the kingdom of God in one day than you and I will do in our whole lifetime. I mean, he's published in the Bible. Paul's writing, and he said, I have this thorn in my flesh. We don't know what it was. It could have been a temptation he struggled with. It could have been a weakness physically. It could have been a weakness spiritually. But it says Satan sent a messenger to remind him something maybe from his past. Something that said, you're not good enough. You'll never overcome this. Paul, you are broken. Paul, you are cracked. And Paul said, I pleaded with the Lord to take it away and heal me. And Jesus said, no. Because in your weakness i am strong my power is perfected in the cracks paul because it's there that jesus shines through you see in the kingdom of god none of us deserve to be here we all come with these cracks but when christ shines in those cracks we find peace and refuge and others who come in broken they look at us and say wait you're not all that perfect but what is that shining in the cracks of your life well it's jesus So in this story, we find that we all are undeserving. We're all broken. We're all cracked. I think of my own life and, you know, I, I love leadership. I study leadership. I read about it. I try to practice it. It's something I take seriously. I want to lead the staff well. I want to lead the church well. I want to work with our elders in a way that's God honoring. And I try to do all those things when I give a sermon. I want it to make sense at least half the time. And, and I want it to be one of those things that is encouraging. And I, But you know what? I know that God uses my life, but I have insecurity with that. I wonder, I wonder, is it good enough? All the time. And I know some of you right now are making a note, like, I'll tell Ryan after the sermon, just trust the Lord more and you'll be fine. (laughs) I know. I know. But that shows up in my life all the time. Every person who leaves a church, even if it's for a good reason, it bugs me. I think, oh, Lord, what did I do? We had a family move to Texas. I'm like, Lord, why did they move to Texas? What did I do wrong? They wanted to be by their grandparents. Why didn't they want to be with me at Seacoast? <laughs> See, I have cracks. And it's when Jesus says, you know what? Let me work through that. And let me, I, I also confess, I hate weakness. I hate having cracks. I hate it. I've told you before, I grew up, both of my parents were dairy farmers in northern Minnesota. Okay, they didn't grow poinsettias in Encinitas, California. They didn't farm in 70 degree weather. They milked cows when it's 50 below zero. They had to walk from the house to the barn and 50 below. Neither one of them had indoor plumbing growing up. They had to go to the, can you imagine 2 a.m. you have to go to the bathroom and you have to walk through a foot of snow to go to the bathroom and it's 50 below zero? Okay, you have parents like that And then when you're in third grade and you're carving wood with a knife and you stick the knife in your hand, you know what they're going to say? They're going to say, well, what they did say was, let me stick some dirt in that and put a Band-Aid on, you'll live. We don't like cracks. We lived in St. Louis for a while and it would be 110 degrees outside with 100% humidity. I mean, Satan goes to St. Louis in the summer to cool off. It is hot there. It is so hot there. And my parents said, go out and mow the lawn. I'd say, it's too hot to mow the lawn. And then I'd hear, you want to know what's hard. 2 a.m. you have to go to the bathroom and it's 50 below zero. You can't can't have cracks when you grow up like that. (laughs) So for me, it's hard. It's hard to admit that. I don't like those weaknesses. But hey, the truth is we all have them and when we can embrace that and let christ shine in those moments we become a refuge for others because we know we're all showing up broken about something about something so we find in the kingdom of god that we're all equal and the other thing is this and i love this part in the kingdom of god we've all we are all qualified to be there because of jesus in this story and we don't have time to totally get into it more but the parallel to this passage is in Matthew chapter 22, where Jesus is telling a story either to the same group or he's telling it again, and in it he adds a different detail, and the detail is he invites these people to the party, and he finds one person there who's not wearing the right clothes. And so Jesus takes that person, says he's not wearing wedding clothes, kick him out where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now, that's why I chose the Luke passage because it's a lot nicer. <laughs> that's pretty harsh thought this guy doesn't have wedding clothes and you kick him to the curb that's kind of harsh jesus but here's the thing that i learned culturally if you invited people to your party it was your responsibility to clothe them to provide the proper attire so that the poor the lame the cripple the outcasts the people the gentiles everyone who didn't belong to be there showed up and said "I'll, i'll come but look what i'm wearing and they said don't worry here you go Armani suit, Armani suit, going to set you up. And one person in the parallel Mer- passage said, I don't need your clothes, I'll just come in as I am. In other words, what I have is good enough. But the host of the party said, no, no, no. None of you are dressed for it. But good news, I will clothe you and qualify you. In Galatians chapter 3, I have this on the screen for you. Galatians chapter 3 verse 26 to 28 says this, You are all sons of God through faith in Jesus Christ. For you all who are baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free man. And there is neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you belong to Christ, you are Abraham's descendants. You are heirs according to the promise in Christ. You have been clothed with Christ. You are qualified to be at the party because Jesus is the one who is clothing you. And you don't have to go in with your dirty, messed up clothes because they're never going to be good enough. You know, last week in the story when Dale was teaching us was a strong message, a reminder of God's heart for the lost. And there's the story of the prodigal son, we often call it. I like to call it the story of the loving father. But in that story, the son is wearing dirty clothes because he's been wallowing with the pigs and he's been eating food that pigs eat and he's been a servant and he's lost everything. And when he came home, the story says this in Luke chapter 15, verse 22 says the father said take off those dirty clothes and let's put on his new robes. Let's clothe him to remind him that he belongs here. You have been clothed in Christ and you belong at the table. This story reminds us that none of us are deserving but all of us are now qualified in Jesus Christ. It's an amazing, amazing truth that we find here. So the question that we have as we leave here is, what is our response? How do we respond to this? How does this shape us as a church? How do we become a church that, or why should we become a church that's a refuge for the broken, for the hurting? What does that look like? I think it looks, first of all, by just developing that heart of Jesus, recognizing where we fit in the story. We are in that, at that table just as undeserving as everyone else. You may be further along. Christ might be shining more brightly through your cracks. I get it. I hope that's the case. The longer you walk with Jesus, the more you understand what that means that Jesus is living in and through you. But you fit at the table with the person who comes in off the street and says, "I have nothing to offer." You might have a coworker who you look at and you say, "Man, God, could you ever rescue that person? Are you a place of refuge or are you a place of judgment? Can we be a church that helps people find rest, not make them feel worse? There's a famous old story of a pastor told of a, of a young lady who was, uh, she had a baby out of wedlock and she was addicted to drugs and she was struggling in her life and she, was, she just said, I feel like junk. And somebody said, hey, have you tried going to church? And she said, wait a minute, didn't you hear me? I already said I feel like junk. Why would I go to church and feel even worse? You see, unfortunately, often in churches, that's what we do, but God, would you please help us be a church that doesn't make people feel that way? Let's ask God to change and shape our hearts. Let's be a church that provides refuge for all, the one who thinks they have it together and the one who knows they don't. Jesus says this in Matthew chapter 11, verse 28 through 29. He said, come unto me, all you who are weary and heavy laden. You will find rest for your souls. Take my yoke upon you, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Do you need rest this morning? You might need rest from the life you've been living. You might need rest from trying to live perfectly. Perfectly. You might need rest because you've been doing everything right. You've been praying, reading the Bible, giving your money, sharing your faith, and you come here today and you say, I'm tired. And Jesus says, find rest for your soul in me. We're gonna, uh, I'm going to invite the worship team to make their way up. And in a moment, we're going to move into a time of communion and, uh, and prayer. And during this time, I think a communion is very appropriate because communion is all about we take a piece of bread, in our case, gluten-free bread, (laughs) and we take this piece of bread that has been broken. It's symbolic of the fact that Jesus Christ was broken for you and me. He was broken so that those of us who are broken can be welcomed in. He was broken because you and I who are not whole need a seat at the table and we couldn't do it on our own, so He was broken for you and for me. And then we take the cup, the juice, and it represents the blood, and His blood was a covenant that He made. It was a one-way covenant that God made with you and with me and said, I will shed my blood as a promise That my payment is enough for you. And so in a moment we have a couple songs and we're going to encourage you to go and take the bread, take the cup and remember that Christ was broken so that you can enter as a broken person and that his blood was shed as a promise that you are invited in can be clothed with Christ. And uh, during that time, too, I want to ask for one other thing. And in this place here this morning, my guess is there's some of you in here who's saying, I don't know where to turn. I feel completely broken. And maybe for you this morning, you just need someone to pray with you. And so I'm going to invite, during this communion time, get up and go to the tables. But I also want to invite you to come up here somewhere, and we will pray for you. And this is a... uh, If there's any ministry leaders, life group leaders, if you see someone who needs to be prayed for, come up and pray. And if you are a ministry leader and you need to be prayed for, that's okay too because you have cracks. And maybe some of you, there's someone in this place this morning and you say, I've never received the invitation that Jesus has given for me to sit at the table. Well, this morning is your chance. Because this morning God has you here for whatever reason and this is your moment where God's saying, would you just get over yourself and receive the invitation I'm handing to you? If that's you, come forward and we want to pray with you this morning. Maybe for some of you, you, you did that a long time ago and you've wandered away and you want to rededicate your life. Come forward, we'll pray with you. If we don't have enough people to pray, someone will pray with you. And you, when I say this, you might be thinking, but if I go up there, everyone's going to think I need prayer. <laughs> I got news for you. We all do. And get over it. You have cracks. So do I. Mike Yaconelli said this, and we're going to move into music, or into worship right after this. He said this, The power of the church is not a parade of flawless people but of a flawless Christ who embraces our flaws. The church is not made up of whole people, rather of broken people who find wholeness in a Christ who is broken for us. Let's pray. And then I urge you, if you want someone to pray with you, would you just come somewhere up here? And, and the rest of you, when you are ready to take communion, feel free to take communion. We have two songs. God, we thank you for this time. I thank you that your invitation is extended to all of us who are broken, who are cracked, who are undeserving. And when we sit at that table with you, Lord, we know that there's nothing in us that's going to measure up to being qualified. Yet when you look around at the table, all you see is people who are clothed in Christ because we received that invitation. And so, God, in this place this morning, would you help us experience wholeness that comes from our brokenness, your wholeness? Would you shine through the cracks in our lives, and would you draw those who are weary and tired and heavy laden? Would you call them to you this morning, Lord? And may we be a church that is refuge for the hurt and the brokenness in our community, in our culture, in our country, where we're showing how broken we really are right now. May we be a place, God, where people find true rest. Only in you. So move in this time now, God. Fill this place with your spirit, your presence. We give this time to you. Amen. So take a moment to respond as you feel led and we'll just let God work with us.